You're listening to China Africa Talk. Jambo ni Bridget akikuletea kipindi kinachohusiana na China na Afrika. Vous écoutez le dialogue sino-africain avec Bridget. Everything China, everything Africa. Olá, você está ouvindo China Africa Talk com Bridget. Sayidati wa sadati, marhaban bikum. Fi al-hawar al-siniyya al-arabi ma'a Bridget. You're listening to China Africa Talk. I'm Bridget Mutambidwa coming to you from the Chinese capital in Beijing with more on what's happening with China and Africa from a Chinese and African perspective. February the 2nd marks World Wetlands Day, which emphasizes the vital role of wetlands for humanity and the planet. This year's observance is themed wetlands and human well-being. To mark the occasion and to unpack how wetlands impact people's well-being in China and Africa and the role both sides can play in saving and restoring these ecosystems, I'm joined by Dr. Yu Xiaobo, professor with the Institute of Geographic Sciences and Natural Resources Research of the Chinese Academy of Sciences, together with Dr. Oscar Agan, lead environment expert at the National Environment Management Authority of Kenya. Professors, it's great to have you on China Africa Talk. Thank, Thank you. you. My pleasure. Perhaps let's begin with Professor Yushibo. Professor, what are wetlands? And given that there is a whole day devoted to wetlands, how important are they? As you may know, China has a lot of wetlands. The total area of the wetland in China accounts for about 6% of China's territory. At this time, you may say that China has very diverse wetlands, including the coastal wetlands, the marsh, the lake wetland, and also river wetland. So there's a lot of type of the wetlands. The wetland management in China have improved in terms of the legislation, institutional arrangement, and also the protected area. As to the legislation aspect, China already released the law on wetland conservation called Wetland Conservation Law. It was passed and now it already promulgated and implemented since last year. So this is very important step for the wetland management. All the wetland now has a very specific law for us to promote the management. And secondly, China has established a very well-organized institutional arrangement. At national level, the National Forest and Grassland Administration is a national agency to manage the wetland. At the provincial and even the local government has some similar arrangement for the management. The national government and the provincial government, local government has established a lot of protected areas in China. There are more than 600 wetland protected areas, including the National Protected Nature Reserve, Provincial Nature Reserve. And there are also more than 900 national parks established. So the situation of the wetland in China now is in good management. That is my view of the wetland situation in China. And over to you, Professor Agan. Africa currently has 1.2 million square kilometers of wetland, 4.7% of its continental area. That's about the same size as Ethiopia. What is the situation of wetlands in Africa? Thank you, Brigitte. 
The situation of wetlands in Africa is pathetic. Pathetic because most of the wetlands are actually dilapidated or they're just vanishing off the surface. And as a result, there's not much because I think as Africans, what you call infrastructural development is eating up our wetlands. There's a lot more focus on getting infrastructure done as opposed to conserving the wetlands. Other than that, we've got very weak government enforcement arms to protect wetlands. Most African countries did not exactly see that because they prioritize what you call infrastructure development compared to wetland conservation. So we've got wetlands diminishing every day, and that's why we have a, a very high rate of desertification and a very high rate of loss of species that occupy wetlands. So we are not doing well today in Africa because our development agendas override environmental conservation. Professor Yoshibo, the Ramsar Convention is the intergovernmental treaty that provides the framework for the conservation and use of wetlands and their resources. Now, the convention was adopted in the Iranian city of Ramza in 1971, and China joined the convention in 1992. Since then, what role is China playing in saving and restoring these ecosystems? Yes, you are right. China joined the Ramza Convention in 1992. In 1992, seven wetlands were listed as a Ramza site. So now... There are 82 Ramsar sites in China. There have been a big increase of the Ramsar site. The National Forest and Grassland Administration published a white paper on the Ramsar site in China. They use a lot of data to analysis the situation or change of the Ramsar sites. The National Wetland Management Agency and other international NGOs jointly organize training workshop for the manager of the Ramsar sites. So it is good. And a lot of monitoring and research, as well as wetland education within the Ramsar Convention. China tried to do some contribution to the Ramsar Convention. As you may know that in 2022, China organized the COP14 of the Ramsar Convention in Wuhan and Geneva. Still to continue, Professor, has there been any cooperation between China and African countries to ensure sustainability of the ecological restoration in wetland regions? And if there are any, how do these partnerships work? Actually, I do not have the whole picture of China and Africa cooperation, but I do involve some of the activities to promote wetland and conservation training. So some of the African countries, governmental staff, protected areas manager, and some researchers from university or institute join this kind of training workshop. I was told that a special training workshop organized by the Chinese side in Uganda and to provide some training in Uganda. Okay, Professor Agan, the theme for this year's World Wetlands Day is wetlands and human well-being. 
Now, in the wake yes. of the recent flooding, for example, in the Congo River Basin, KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa, and Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, how relevant yes. is that? You see, we know from a scientific reality that wetlands actually could mitigate some of these catastrophes out of floods, and uh, catastrophes that relate to loss of wetland species. The reality is that the damage caused by floods and climate change is increasing. And one of the causes is that we are losing our wetlands. We are losing. There's a role that wetlands play in mitigating floods. There are roles that wetlands play in mitigating loss of what you call ecological species that grow there. But there's very little done. It is the Kenyans who actually own the land and own the country, but turn blind eyes towards destruction of their very wetlands, as I told you, at the expense of infrastructure. So with the change in climate that we're currently experiencing, floods come in heavily because there are no wetlands to mitigate. The wetlands are dry. They've died. I think there is need for more focus that in development cooperation, conservation should play a key role because I think for we Africans, we're mostly focused on the infrastructure as opposed to enforcing the laws that govern the development of the infrastructure. So on our part, the focus is on seeing the bridge, the focus is on seeing the house, the focus is on seeing the road. But there is little, and I think uh, there is need for developers on the other side to also have a role that is enforced right from the source of the fund where in the event that a fund comes in to develop infrastructure in Kenya or in Africa, then also has to have an equally strong enforcement arm to conserve Africa. Otherwise, Africa is going to turn into a desert. It's fast turning into a desert, and it's fast turning into a floody area in the event of rains, because we have not kept a keen eye on how to conserve wetlands at development times. So it's a role that is to be played and enforced by both parties. We are first degenerating and killing a lot of ecological species that are there. And that has an impact on climate. It has an impact on socioeconomic activities around wetlands. Yeah. May I make additional comments on China and Africa cooperation? Sure. <laughs> it is very important to build the closed partnership between China and, and African countries. That is very important, including governmental cooperation and also business, including the developer for the infrastructure in Africa, and also some the scientists and the researchers also need to work together. There are some projects already implemented between Chinese scientists and African scientists for the nature conservation, for the environmental issues. For Chinese friends to better understand the situation, uh, the challenge, and the needs of the African countries. Not only the business need to build this kind of partnership, even the civil society organization, or we call NGO, need to work together and better understand the wetland situation, challenge, and management. Professor Yoshibo, how do urban wetlands impact people's well-being in China? As you may know that around 70% of 
of the Chinese people living in city or urban area now. So more and more people in city enjoy the urban wetland park, watching the birds, watching the plants. It is local government responsibility to maintain urban wetland park. I have very uh, interesting observation about the wetland park. I live very near to the Olympic Forest Park, even though it is called Forest Park, but there are some wetlands inside. Professor Agan, connecting wetlands with climate, uh, you are also a climate expert, and I'd like to know from you, in the case of Africa, just how much of the degradation of wetlands is a result of climate change versus human interference, and what regional and international strategies are there to protect Africa's wetlands? Brigitte, I'll give you an example of Nairobi, where we've got the Ondiri wetland, which is the source of the Nairobi River. And the human encroachment on that area has gone beyond normal. There's hardly going to be a wetland in the next 10 years, and uh, that might cause Nairobi River to dry. So I think on the part of the leadership, on the part of our social fabric in terms of conserving wetlands, we are not doing well at all. And that has actually heavily impacted on climate change because there's not going to be a natural river source in Nairobi because Ondiri wetlands is drying, drying up because the encroachment of human being towards that particular area. And Nairobi, if you remember the history, was actually located because of its clean river, clean, sweet water, which is no longer there. And the source of that water, which is a Niri wetland in Kikuyu, is diminishing to the extent that it might not be there in the next 10 years. And that brings in a lot of questions. The biodiversity, the birds, the ecological system, the, the, the whole ecology around that Niri wetland is diminishing. It's not there. And we are sacrificing wetlands at the expense of human development, infrastructural development. Now, without a source of clean water in a city, really, I don't see us surviving easily because where are we going to get clean water when the very source of those waters are actually dilapidated? And in the event that we have the few wetlands that are there have been turned into dump sites, most wetlands today in the city, in our urban areas, are what are dump sites. Now, when we have dump sites in wetlands, then it means that the ecological family within that wetland disappears because of pollution. And that contributes very heavily to a drought situation or flooding situation in the event that there are rains there. So we are not doing well. The need to enforce laws when it comes to infrastructural development is very necessary. And whatever that is documented on paper should actually be enforced to the letter in the event that we invite a partner, especially from foreign countries like China, to come and help us development infrastructure. Because what is there written on the agreement is not exactly what is enforced to conserve the remaining weapons. Professor Yushibo, you successfully implemented a Paulson Institute-funded project on China's coastal wetland conservation management strategy, water birds and habitat database, and Allison C. Foundation-funded project 
on valuation and health assessment of coastal wetlands in China. What is your role in protecting wetlands in China? My role in protecting wetlands in China is I am a researcher, a professor of Chinese Academy of Science. So I focus on some of the strategic study on the wetland monitoring, assessment, and management. So during my research period, I working on some strategic issues for the wetland management and make recommendation for the policymakers to implement or to promote the wetland conservation. So you just mentioned about the Portion Institute Fund project on the coast wetland and conservation management strategy. Actually, we identified some management gap in the coastal wetland, and we provide a list of the priority actions. So the policymakers may pick up our recommendations or policy options to do some of the work. Not only the government, but also civil society organizations like Alasan SE Foundation. They are using the protected area gaps to develop their own project and investigate and to promote other civil society organizations to look after some of the wetlands, which are not listed as a protected area yet. We're working on the ecosystem monitoring, research, and the demonstration of best management practice. I am also the Secretary General of Chinese Ecosystem Research Network. I look after 44 field sites across China. So they are not only working on the wetlands, but also on the forest, cropland, and urban ecosystem. We focus on monitoring the ecosystem change to understand why the ecosystem change and what actions to be taken to improve the ecosystem situation. And Professor Agan, in a world where debates on climate change have become very crucial to people's well-being, why is the preservation and restoration of our wetlands key to stabilizing our climate? Because out of conversations that are held in conferences, a lot from the basis of what is to be done, the tasks ahead of them. But from my observation that there's too much talk at conference level, but there's too little action at ground level. I think from my observation, there's need to change, there's need to actualize conference agreements or uh, ratifications into realities, because until that is done, we continue having conferences without actions on the ground, because in as much as conferences get us to be aware of the reality, because it's a forum where we share and exchange ideas, there's need to transform those resolutions and have a way on how African governments, especially African governments, to enforce whatever resolutions that are passed within conferences. Conferences play a very good role in enlightening us, in educating us, but once there is a resolution to be implemented, then it's important that leaders in Africa live up to what they resolve. Until that is done, we are still going to talk in hotels, talk in big cities with very little action at ground level and climate change is a reality. It's eating us and it's badly affecting our economic status in Africa.
Perhaps what ecological conservation practices can China and African countries learn from each other? I think China is a lot more serious because the laws in China could be a a lot more strictly enforced compared to what we have here. In Kenya and in Africa specifically, there's very little enforcement and that interferes and that brings in the laxity of what we experience here. Please, what we are saying is that uh, China is a lot more serious in terms of enforcement of resolutions. Unless we Africans enforce resolutions, then we are bound to hell in terms of climate mitigation and the certification, all the evils that are associated with climate mitigation. So our culture, our enforcement laws, our culture and enforcement and our leadership should be a lot, a lot more focused on the realities that are there, which we are currently not. And that's different in China and it's different in Western countries. When laws are passed in Western countries, they are implemented to the letter as opposed to laws that are passed in other conferences to be implemented locally in Africa, hardly, hardly get anywhere. So I think we need to change our attitude, we need to change our perspective on how to achieve resolutions that we pass in conferences, if we have to achieve any change. Professor Yushibo, perhaps to yeah. add on to what uh, Professor Argan has said, what ecological conservation practices can China and African countries learn from each other? I had opportunity to visit Kenya for several times, and uh, I visited some of the wetlands and uh, the national park, including some safari experience. I, I think the national park management in Africa, in Kenya, and some study tour for the, the management for the tourists are very good, excellent for us, for China counterpart to learn. So I think there are a lot of experience we may share with each other. And what is your vision for wisely used wetland, Professor Yushibao? I think uh, when we look forward as to my vision, the three aspects. The first is healthy wetland. Second is happy people. And the third is harmonious society. As to the, to the healthy wetland, as again, Professor also mentioned, some wetlands are facing the loss, the degradation. So they are not really healthy. So we hope that the wetland in the future will know net loss and no degradation. So this is my first vision about the healthy wetland. As to the people, this year, the World Wetland Day also focus on the human well-being. I think the people enjoy the thing in their wetland. And the people also need to share the responsibility to look after the wetland, make sure that the wetland are in good state. And as to the harmonious society, I think that it is important to balance the wetland conservation and wise use. As to the wise use of the wetland, they are really related to the local community development and their livelihood. So my vision is healthy wetland, happy people, and a harmonized society. Thank you. Mm, well, wonderful insights there. And just wind off, Professor Agan, in the context of East Africa, uh, what are Kenya's plans for wetlands in 2024? Kenya's plans for wetlands is an, a very ambitious uh, program on tree planting for reforestation. 
because as you realize, our forest cover in Kenya is below 4%, and uh, the UN minimum requirement is 10%. So the current leadership of the current president has come out very strongly to reforestate the Kenyan country by planting 15 billion trees, which I hope will be achieved in the next 10 years. There's also been efforts to educate what you call the population at primary school level and expose them to the need to conserve wetlands and reforestate what has been dilapidated in the past. So we have plans to grow 15 billion trees. We have plans to expand our education to grassroots or primary level to expand skills and knowledge. And we see if this takes place, and then there's also something that has come up where every person to be engaged by government must have what you call a certificate of green conduct. Like the way you need a certificate for good conduct is going to be a certificate of green conduct. And that should be able to be enforceable before you get any government assignment or deal with the government to ensure that you have grown reasonably number good trees at grassroots level to encourage conservation. Hmm. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have on the program. Professor Agan and Professor Yushibo, thank you so much for your insights. I certainly learned uh, quite a bit there without wearing my gumboots and rain gear. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Post it on social media or leave a rating and review. Thanks again. See you next time.